Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we bring praises to our King, we also turn to confess our sins. John chapter 1, verse 9 is our call to confession this morning. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Palm Sunday is a day of Advent. Jesus arrives. He comes to his people. And we were his own before he came to us. The Advent of our King is a day of joy, but it's also a day of conviction. It's a comfort that we belong, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. But it also convicts us of sin that we belong to Jesus because we reject our Creator often. We want to do our own thing. We know Israel will do this before the week is out, willing to crucify him to get their way. This reminds us of our need to confess our sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, that you have given us your word. We pray that... uh, we would take refuge in the shadow of your wings, as the psalmist says, that we would feast on the abundance of your house, as you give us to drink from the river of your delights. Lord, with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Lord, give us eyes to see today by your Holy Spirit, that we might see your Son, Jesus, more clearly for who he is, Follow him more nearly. Love him more dearly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Luke 19, verse 39. Hear God's infallible word. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground." And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm just struck again, but before I even start in my notes, the contrast on Palm Sunday between the people uh, joyfully welcoming Christ into Jerusalem and Christ's response. It's astounding. As as I just read that again, it's, wow. His response is uh, one of such conviction. One of, you're welcoming me, 
but if you but you don't know what makes for your peace and that's the the burden of my message today uh, do we know what makes for our peace uh, israel in this time lived in such volatile times very very similar to our own and i'm going to describe that in detail in just a minute and it was hard for them to know what made for their peace because they were tempted to look to other things than Christ, the Lamb of God, for their peace. There's always a lot to cover on Palm Sunday, so I'm going to just jump in here. Palm, it usually gets me a little riled up too, so, so buckle up here. Um, a little history that I think will come alive as you think about our own cultural moment. Uh, the question is, what do you do when godless pagans take over your country? What do you do then? Because that's what God had allowed uh, Greece and Rome to do to Israel for 200 years leading up to Jesus' arrival. It's exactly what had happened. Greece came in, conquered Rome after them. What do you do when godless pagans take over your country? And God's people, Israel... At, at the time, we know this from the history from Josephus and other sources, they were divided into four basic responses. And I want to lay those out each in turn, and I think you'll recognize all four of them today. <laughs> so number one is you had elite compromisers. The Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, you had many in that group who wanted to work with Rome, who wanted to work with the pagans, make it make it work so that they could keep their place and their nation, so that they could have some respect, have some reputation. And we see that even in the evangelical world today. Uh, we see it uh, among compromisers uh, in high places. Um, I hesitate to say this. I didn't have it in my notes at all, but it, one of those might be the, the head of the NIH. That would be an example. I think his name is Francis Collins. That, that would be an example of, of that today. Uh, someone, uh, uh, one who identifies as a Christian, evangelical, and yet found himself uh, compromising with policies that were probably not wise or biblical. Uh, there's all kinds of examples like that. So you had the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, the, the elite compromisers. That's the first kind. Second, you had zealots who were tempted to violence. Uh, they, their focus was on armed resistance, it was on physical training, it was on driving out Rome militarily. We're looking for a Messiah who's going to be our general, who's going who's to garner an army, who will get Rome out of here with, by the sword. That was a second example, second uh, response, sorry. The third is the Pharisee. The Pharisee was prone to idolize their own obedience, to think that that would bring in the kingdom. If we just say our prayers enough, if we just obey God hard enough, he'll take care of it. And we can mostly ignore the Romans. God will take care of it if we're just righteous. That was the third response. Elite compromisers, zealots, Pharisees. And the last group was the Essenes the ones who probably produced the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Essenes were radical separatists. Their philosophy was, you know what, we just need to leave town. 
we need to go out and build a brand new community in the wilderness. That's the only way to live pure and holy. We need to separate from this uh, godless uh, temple structure, these elite compromisers. We need to separate from them, go away from them, set up our own temple, set up our own town, our own school, our own economy. Today we call it parallel institutions. So those are the four basic uh, responses. Elite compromisers, zealots, Pharisees, and Essenes. Now, as I, said, as I describe all those, I'm not doing that intending to completely disparage and reject all and everything about all of that. Right? There, there's some things good in some of those things. I hope that's clear. The normal person in Jesus' day was drawn to each of these in, in turn. And I think today it's the same way. It's the very same thing. We're, we're drawn to, to violence, to, to physical force back. We're drawn to uh, withdraw into our self-righteous pietism. That we're drawn to separatism and to just get out of that. I, don't, I, I can't work here anymore in this, at, at this big company that's uh, doing weird things. We're drawn to each of these things. Jesus is the lamb sacrifice that we have to trust to bring in God's kingdom. That, that's the ultimate foundation underneath uh, whatever is good about any of those other things. And that's the point today. So let's uh, consider Palm Sunday now after that intro. So Zechariah 9, of course, is the, the prophecy that's fulfilled here. And uh, I'm going to go back to the old word remez. If you remember wor- the word remez, it's, I think I've got it in the uh, words for kids there, yes. Um, it's a Hebrew word that just means hint. And it was a a rabbinic technique, a a rabbinic teaching method, where you would just quote a phrase or maybe even a word from the Old Testament, and people would just would know their Old Testament so well that they would know, oh, he's quoting that phrase. That means he's talking about that chapter. Oh, okay. We do that today in all kinds of ways. Young kids, you you guys know this through movies mostly. No, all I have to do is say the word mawedge. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about, right? This whole scene, this whole movie comes to mind, The Princess Bride. We do this all the time. We just hint at things with just a word or a phrase or a meme. Memes do this too. It's the same idea. Jesus does this when he comes to Jerusalem. He stops at the outskirts of the city and he calls for a donkey. And he gets on the donkey deliberately stops and and makes sure that he enters, he crosses the border into the city limits of Jerusalem on a donkey. And he's doing that as an unspoken remez, a fulfillment of Zechariah 9. Behold, your king comes to you riding on a donkey. Uh, By the way, the phrase daughter of Zion is interesting. That, That phrase daughter of Zion referred to the small towns around Jerusalem. Uh, towns like Bethany, where Mary and Martha lived. They they were little towns on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Those were the daughters of Zion. Does that make sense? It's a daughter because it's a a smaller uh, uh, unit of Jerusalem. So uh, rejoice, daughters of Zion. Your king comes to you. So Jesus brings salvation. He's humble and lowly. He's not uh, riding on a mighty war horse. And this is something of a remez. If you turn to Zechariah 9, uh, then you, you see that. 
because what Jesus is referring to is not just that one verse, Zechariah 9, 9, but there are plenty of other verses going on that, that are fascinating in that chapter. Verse, the next verse, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He will speak peace to the nations. So it's a little, it's a little vague what's going on there. God's going to, he's going to take away the weapons from Israel. And, and does that mean they're not going to need them anymore? Probably. Does that mean those weapons won't be used in bringing about their salvation? Probably. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Verse 13 is something that, that the zealots would cling to. I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. So there you have something of a, a, a biblical warrant for rising up militarily against the sons of Greece. We need to, and that's what Judas Maccabeus in the intertestamental time did. He drove out those godless pagans so that Israel could be its own nation again. Thus the holiday Hanukkah was born. So Zechariah 9 points to a, a, a rich context there. But Jesus rejects that, verse 13, I believe, by weeping in verse 44 of our sermon text, Luke 19. You don't know what time it is. In other words, it's not time to rise up against Greece. It's not time uh, to welcome in and to, to make a military general to drive out Rome. It's time to receive the Lamb. It's not time to fight the Romans. And that's, that's an important uh, truth that we need to remember. And we need to remember this in our personal lives and as we read the news, we need to remember this. Don't get so wrapped up in the culture war that you don't receive the lamb. That, that would be my sermon in a nutshell today. That, that's it right there. Especially after this week, it's really easy to get really hostile towards a certain set of people. Don't get so wrapped up in that that you don't receive the Lamb. The Lamb is our salvation. Not anger towards any one set of people. So the king comes into Jerusalem and he says, you don't know what's making for your peace. You don't know what time it is. And he weeps at that. It... Uh, Beloved mentor of mine once said, I'm going off my notes again, um, that Jesus weeps two times in the Bible. And they're both within a week of each other. This is the second one. Jesus weeps here because the people are missing him. They're missing what he's about. But just a week before John chapter 11, Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. That's the other time he weeps. He weeps when we, when we weep, when we grieve, when we go through loss. So one question to ask is how Jesus is weeping for you. Is, is Jesus grieving over you because you're hurting and missing your loved ones as well? Or is he grieving over you because you're missing him? 
and because you're missing the point and because you're pursuing other things. Don't let it be that. Moving on. The king, the king on a donkey, Zechariah 9. Uh, next, the people's response is Psalm 118. They quote Psalm 118. Uh, the people want their king's advent. And their response is, uh, for the most part, very uh, faithful and accurate. Uh, they, they add the word king, which is interesting. It's not in, the, in Psalm 118, if you look at it. Behold the one who comes. And they, they say, behold the king who comes. And uh, there you have not a, I don't think, a, a misquotation, uh, an error. Um, perhaps they're saying king because they want... Uh, so they want a king besides uh, Pilate and besides Herod. Uh, they, there may be a bit of zealot quality to this, but they are right in the main. Uh, this is their king, and, and they want a king uh, who is uh, faithful and God-given because they get the, the Zechariah 9 donkey riding. They get the remez. Uh, I, I'm fairly convinced Again, with no words spoken, Jesus just acts this out. And we kind of wonder why this spontaneous outburst by the crowd. I think that's why. They, they know their Bible. They know Zechariah 9. They know if, if someone rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, that, that's, that's, um, if that's done deliberately but by a prophet, by a teacher well-known, they know what's going on, and Jesus knows they know, and Jesus is doing it to make sure they know. It's all being done deliberately based on Scripture. But in Psalm 118, again, they're doing a remez without even knowing it. If, if you look there, it's on the front page of the bulletin, of course. We, this is why we read this and sang this today. Uh, look at the remez there, what's going on. Verse 19 Jesus goes through the gates of Jerusalem. And what does it say? Open to me the gates of righteousness. Right? But Jesus is the gate. He is the door. He is the way by which we enter God's presence. And verse 22, the stone the builders rejected, rejected by the leaders. The New Testament calls Jesus the living stone, the cornerstone. It's Jesus. Verse 24, we, we uh, say a lot at the beginning of worship services. This is the day the Lord has made. Oh, yes, it is. This is the very hour Jesus has made. God brought this holy week to pass, ordained it from all eternity. All of history centers on these seven days, this Sunday and the next one. We rejoice in them. Uh, verse 25, save us, we pray. And the Hebrew there is Hosanna. Uh, Hebrew for Hosanna is literally save. I also noticed um, just a, a day or two ago that the, the Hebrew there, that's also related to the word Jesus. Uh, Hosanna, you, you see, if you turn the H into a J, that's Joshua or Yeshua. That, that's where that word comes from. They're, they're literally saying Jesus us. Give us Jesus, or save us, because the word Jesus means, name Jesus means save. So the whole thing is, is a rich remez. 
Verse 27, especially at the end, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Wow. The, the whole point, the, the very last verse of the psalm, the climax of the week, is Jesus uh, bound as a sacrifice uh, on the altar for, for the Lord. So it makes me think again of the, sometimes I hear critiques, criticisms of singing the psalms, that if you sing the psalms, especially if you only sing the psalms, the critique is, well, you're never, you're never directly singing about Jesus then. Because Jesus, there's no... And I'm like, what are you talking about? Jesus is all over the psalms. <laughs> so, so that doesn't really work. Anyway, the people want their king's advent. And so we have the holiday mashup. We sang, uh, lift up your heads. An Advent hymn, right? This Jesus is the one. He is God incarnate. And he's going to die on the cross for your sins. He will rise from the dead in seven days. He sits on the throne, reigning in glory right now. He will come again to judge. And this is why we say the Nicene Creed every week, or the Apostles' Creed. Because it gives us all of that all at once. And that's so important. That... that consider the creeds your holiday mashup every week that's that's what we want we, we need to remember it all together all at the same time well the pharisees verse 39 in luke 19 the pharisees object uh, some of the pharisees called and said teacher rebuke your disciples the pharisees do not want an uprising from zealots that's that's their main concern and not just the Pharisees, the Sadducees too. They want peace and stability. They want to keep things calm. They don't want to escalate things because they've got decent jobs that they're holding down. They've got a position and a reputation to protect. If things go totally crazy, then what are we going to do? How do I provide for my family then? That's a major concern. And if, and if we idolize that instead of, instead of being faithful... We can be like the Pharisees. They fear Rome's reprisal more than they fear God. And they don't really believe that Jesus is the king anyway. So just, just keep it down. The Pharisees object. The king's response to that is fascinating. Verse 40, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would cry out. And here we have the Habakkuk 2 uh, text. Uh, I believe it's a double remez. The stones will cry out. Habakkuk 2, we only ever go there for the Luther moment, really. The just will live by faith, verse 4. And that's true, and that's good. That was his tower moment when he realized the justification by faith uh, truth. But Habakkuk, in context, is contrasting the faithful and the wicked. And the wicked trust in other things. And the faithful live by their faith. And every good cross-reference Bible here at Luke 19, verse 40, will point you to Habakkuk 2, verse 11. So let's go there a second. Habakkuk 2, verse 11. Got to find Habakkuk back in that minor prophet section. Habakkuk 2, verse 11. 
Now, you might disagree with me. You might think this is a bit flimsy, a bit of a stretch, but I, this is, I think, the way that uh, Scripture does things, this remez idea. Verse 11, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. That, that's a remez. Jesus is pointing to Habakkuk 2 by saying, The stones will cry out if you silence the children. Well, what is he talking about? Why does he go to an obscure verse like that? Well, look around. Verse 9. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high. That's those elite compromisers. Those Sadducees who were overcharging for sacrifices in the temple for the money changers. They're getting rich off of that. Those Sadducees, they're, they're the elite, and they're exploiting the common person. Jesus convicts them strongly just by saying the stones will cry out. Because everybody thinks, Habakkuk 2, oh, those coveting and uh, evil gain for their house. And then read on after verse 11. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Who's he talking to there? The zealot. You can't establish an independent Israelite Jewish nation by driving the Romans out by military force and think that's going to be righteousness. You establish the kingdom of God by trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Not by Peter taking out his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and swiping off the high priest's servant's ear and thinking, that's going to do it. I'm going I'm to keep Jesus from being arrested and keep him from having to suffer. I'm going to keep myself from having to suffer. That's not how we bring in the kingdom. Don't worry, I'll qualify some of this in a minute. I can see some questions. But the question, the, the, the king's response is just dead set on this. Reject the elite compromising. Reject violence as the foundation of righteousness. Joshua 24 is, is important here too. Joshua says to Israel at the end, choose what gods you're going to serve. You're going to serve the gods of Egypt, of Canaan, each house has to choose what kind of lamb they're going to offer. You're going to choose a pagan lamb? Just just be a Roman? Are you going to go along to get along and, and be a, a, a compromising type of, have that be your lamb, the political massaging of the truth so that you can just navigate these weird times? Are you going to choose the pietistic lamb? of the Pharisees. Uh, I'll just read my Bible more and pray more and just keep my head down and, and God will bless that. Are you, you going to choose the zealot lamb and decide that it's the sword that's going to bring in the kingdom? This applies so richly to us today, especially after Monday. It, it isn't us singing imprecatory psalms that's going to stop the trans day of vengeance. It isn't 
doing family worship longer and pressing on your kids harder that's going to guarantee their salvation. When you truly rely completely on the Lamb, your family will see you live that out. Your your kids are going to trust what they see you trust. And, And that will result in singing psalms. That will result in securing their safety. Again, I'm not absolutely rejecting those things. But they're going to see you relying not on your own righteousness, not on your own planning. They're going to see you trusting because you know that salvation is of the Lord, as Jonah says. So, back to Jesus' point. His point here is, if you stop the children from crying out Hosanna to Jesus, if you stop the people from worshiping their true king, me, (laughs) Jesus is saying, if you stop that, then you're, then you're going to try to build the kingdom of God on something else. On revolutionary violence, on stolen wealth of unjust politics. And you're not the faithful of Habakkuk too. then. You're the proud, wicked ones who will, who will be destroyed. The stones will cry out against you. That's Jesus' Palm Sunday message. It's astounding how he just with a, a phrase, addresses all the, the unfaithful responses going on at the time. And he says instead, I am the lamb. I am the lamb you need. <clears throat> I make sure to read Exodus 12 every Palm Sunday because it's so important. It, th- this is the day. This is lamb selection day. It's either today or tomorrow. I, I don't know the exact timing. Uh, four or five days before Passover. That's today, <laughs> right? Passover and the crucifixion are roughly coincident at the same time. Four or five days before that, that's Palm Sunday, right? This is the day that Israel was supposed to choose their Passover lamb. Make sure it's a lamb without blemish, right? Uh, So choose your lamb to offer to God. Don't choose the elite compromising politician. Don't look to Joe Biden, whoever else you might think of. I I think of, um, there are a lot of Christian colleges going liberal these days. Uh, You know, think of those college presidents or deans, right? they're, They're professing faith in Christ, but they're compromising in various ways. And we can look to them as, Well, if we give our kids to you, then you can help them navigate the world. Watch out for that. Watch out for those kind of, those colleges that are going crazy, going wobbly, going leftist. Uh, Don't give your, that's not the lamb you want to choose. Don't choose the lamb, the the zealots, strong military leader. Uh, You know, we, we can defend ourselves with weapons and a plan, and we should, we can plan how to fight back politically against the left, but that isn't what brings in the kingdom. It's not going to come that way. Don't choose the lamb of the Pharisees' pietism. I was just, uh, <laughs> this is a little dicey. I, I guess I'll say this. I, I grew up on Ligonier Ministries and R.C. Sproul. I highly respect them, so... Don't take this comment the wrong way, but I was just watching one of their conferences this week. The, the, the speakers put on such long, somber faces of, of pietism. 
And that isn't what saves us. They say a lot of good, true things. I, I recommend Ligonier, generally speaking. But watch out for the attitude of, man, if I just act pious, if I just talk in a certain way or pray long enough in front of other people, that's what's going to do it. No. It isn't. So watch out what lamb you choose. The Passover lamb that we need, they don't quite know it yet. Uh, It's the very king that they've praised. The lamb we need is the king. The king we need is the lamb of God. You know, what is it we hate about politicians so much? They lie, they work to credit themselves, not to serve the people. You know, what if you had a ruler who not only made promises to fix your roads but who bled and died for what your soul really needs. The one who sits on the throne now died for your sin at Calvary. That's the lamb we need. Not the zealot's sword and sharp tongue. Not the elite's political maneuvering. You don't build kingdoms that last that way. God builds his kingdom on the sacrifice of his son. And he's shown us that way washing the disciples' feet in the upper room. So go be a lamb. Go be like Jesus. Offer yourself a living sacrifice to God. And and then you lay yourself out for the people around you. You're going to be a lamb before you're a king, just like Jesus. Now sometimes, it's interesting, I, I think this happened to me to some degree, Sometimes we get the king role before, be first, and then we have to be a lamb, right? Husbands, when your wife married you, she put a crown on your head. She made you a king. And like the crowds on Palm Sunday basically did for Jesus. But that means it's time to go to the cross. And you're doing that. I see it uh, week by week. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mothers, you take a new baby home from the hospital and you have a crown of joy on your head. It's so beautiful. But now it's time to serve, to die to yourself like the Lamb of God. You come last now. The kingdom of God comes first. The kingdom comes as you do 10 loads of laundry in a day because all your kids get sick. And and notice there, that doesn't mean that mom is ultimately serving her children. That doesn't mean that the husband is only serving his wife, right? Jesus didn't take the crown and then do whatever the people wanted. They wanted a military general to drive out Rome. But Jesus instead gives them what they needed. Now, we aren't Jesus. We, we don't always know what our spouses need. Sometimes we do know, but we don't feel like giving it to them. Right? We're, we're not as faithful. We're not as uh, all-powerful. But, but it's the same with parents. We're very poor kings. We feast ourselves. We don't know or care about our people. We're very poor lambs who refuse to deny ourselves and get on the altar of sacrifice. Jesus is the only Lamb of God worthy to take our sins away. And John sees him 
in Revelation 5. You keep coming back to that chapter. John sees him in the throne room of God, a lamb looking like it had been slain. But no one can open the scroll. The scroll that will advance the kingdom of God. And when John sees that, that no one is worthy to open the scroll, he weeps. Israel's leaders compromised with unbelief. Zealots letting anger and violence run amok. Husbands ignoring wives or abusing or resenting them. Wives not respecting their husbands. Parents scolding. Children disobeying. Americans railing against this country they should be grateful for. Who is worthy? And the Lamb appears in Revelation 5. And interestingly, he turns into a lion. Do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, has conquered, is worthy to take the scroll to advance God's kingdom agenda. The same one who died for your sin, who let himself be scourged and stripped and humiliated and crucified, mocked like a helpless, bleating lamb. He takes the scroll and he's a conquering lion. He's capable. He will advance God's purpose for you. He will be a faithful king. He sees that your place in his kingdom is secure, is meaningful. But we have to trust him for it. We have to trust him for it. Don't resort to compromise with pagans. Don't resort to the wilderness like the Essenes. Don't resort to violence and anger like the zealot. Don't plead your own righteousness like the Pharisee. Look to the Lamb. I think you understand all the things I would say to qualify this. This kind of blunts the rhetorical conclusion here, but I I guess I want to say it anyway. Of course, we need to defend ourselves and our family and be prepared sometimes with physical force to do so. Training in such things is good. That, That zealot impulse isn't absolutely totally wrong. Same with the Pharisee. We need to read our Bibles. We need to pray. We need to be doing, uh, engaging with the means of grace in those ways. We do need sometimes to navigate with corporate employers that are pursuing some woke agenda. What are we going to do with with that? There's a level of navigation that's involved there. Not compromise, of course, but what do we say and when do we say it? I think you understand all that. But none of that will bring in the kingdom. It's, it's, God's, it's God's lamb. It's our trust in him that will lead to us taking faithful actions like I just mentioned. But we need to be looking to the lamb. First and foremost and always. Lead on, O King Eternal. I'll close with this. I thought of this hymn 
just last night. The Lamb becomes the King. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy. With those, the heavenly kingdom comes. pastor's chief desire for his people is to know that they trust in the Lord Jesus. And James tells us that our faith needs to be a living faith that works And I just want to encourage you at the end here. I'm seeing your faith work. I'm seeing it in action. It's so encouraging. Know that the people sitting around you are serving one another. You only see a fraction of it. And that service is living proof that we're trusting the Lamb. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us such encouragement, conviction, to stay on the true path, to keep our trust in the right place. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit that you are bringing forth in the lives of your faithful. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move among us. Keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We consider him now, and we now turn to sing, to pray as he taught us to pray, as we sing. First Corinthians 10 for our communion exhortation, beginning at verse 18. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Thus far the reading of God's word. The point of the message today is this. Choose your lamb.
If you trust Jesus to be your sacrifice, then take and eat. The Old Testament sacrifices, even pagan sacrifices, were all an act of saying, this is me. I identify with this God. I'm with this God. We are one in loyalty and purpose. It's the same here. Eating is a profession of faith in Christ. So do not partake if you do not believe. But tasting here, seeing that God is good, it's a great way to keep at bay those doubts, those wonderings, if the world's food is better. It isn't. You'll find only pig food and dust and wilderness apart from Christ. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good, uh, the gifts of God for the people of God. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.